ten brothers. When they come together, each one has a theme, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done to good enough. If any speak in the tongue, let there only be two or three, or at most three, and each in turn let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them take silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what he said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For we can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silence in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones he has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. For all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome, um, you're visiting again. My name's Mike. You've already met Huey. I look after the kids' ministry most of the time. And if you're new, you've joined us on a fun day. We're going to talk about some very verses about the silence of women, and we're going to get there. Um, but I just thought I'd start by asking. Um, have you ever wondered why we do the things we do when we gather together? And that this might be your first time visiting church, so as you're going, you might think, why do these people, these Christians, meet together and do these things? Like, why do they sing songs? Why is there this thing like a sermon? Why is there going to be prayer later? All these kind of things. Why do we do those things? And what if we did things a little bit differently? So, for example, with, with songs, why, why do we sing a few songs? Why don't we uh, sing like many African churches and just spend half the service singing where you would teach us some dance moves and loosen up a little bit? Why do we do it this way? Um, or what about sermons? Why is it that we have a sermon? Why does Huey preach most of the sermons in the year? Uh, what, if we, what if we actually just rostered everyone on to the sermon? So, 52 weeks in a year, uh, we just get all our regular Christian members and we just say, you preach once, so Julie's first up, and Ian's next week, Julie's next week. Um, and I know that sounds daunting, but if you think about it, that's one sermon, you have a whole year to prepare. So it should be good quality. It should be good quality. Why don't we do that? Well, why don't we get our children to do the preaching? I saw a YouTuber that a seven-year-old boy, incredibly convincing, very powerful preacher. I'm not sure if he knew what he was saying, but he was very convincing. Um, it doesn't even have to be elements in the program. What if we did new things in our service? Like, why don't we do show and tell, like my daughter's preschool? We get Wayne to bring his coffee machine for one week. We get Beverly to bring her ornaments 
kind of, as I say these things, they're kind of going, yeah, let's just give it a go and see what happens. Because it's not like the Bible has this sort of prescriptive list of how and why you should do everything. So let's just give it a go. Um, and yet, when you come to a text like today, the Apostle Paul says, like, hold your horse's world. Actually, there is a word from God, and there is much wisdom to God, from God, about how we gather. And today, um, that word is this word order, orderly gatherings. If you want to actually have a spirit-filled gathering together, do it in a way which is orderly. Now, again, just like last week, um, words like intelligible and orderly they don't sound very spiritual, and yet Paul says actually the most spiritual thing you can do when you gather is actually to meet in a way that reflects so we're going to see what that means today. So I'm going to pray for our time together, and then we'll have a look at what this passage has to say. Father God, we thank you for bringing us together to witness the wonderful baptism of Caleb and Chris. And we also thank you that these meetings are a time where we can listen to you speak to us from your word. And grant us wisdom so we may know how to understand and apply some of the tricky verses in particular from this passage. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, so if you've just joined us, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians from sort of chapter 12, and um, if there's kind of two ways to summarize what we've been looking at, um, you could say on one thing, church, when we gather, it's not about me. It's about serving the body of Christ. We're all part of the body, and we bring our gifts in order to serve other people. And secondly, um, what does spirituality look like? What does a spirit-filled gathering look like? It looks like being clear with the words we use, and today it looks like being ordered. Now, um, just as a heads up, we're going to do something different today. Um, towards the back end of the sermon, I've actually invited Ash, one of our student leaders, so she's going to come up here, and I'm going to ask her a couple of questions. Um, in particular, in light of verses 34 and 35, about the role of women in the church. And um, uh, what I'm just going to hear some of the ways that she understands that passage, um, particularly as a Christian woman. Um, so that's going to happen. She's going to here, and then she's going to sit back down, and I'm going to continue the sermon. So just be prepared. That's going to happen. All right, come with me in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and verse 26. Then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or most three, and in each turn, let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each man be silent in church and speak to himself. So, as Susan sort of mentioned, um, the picture of the Corinthian church is a church full of people that are really keen, a little bit overly keen to share their gifts. And they bring all these things and all these gifts to the church. And in particular, Paul says when it comes to tongues, he says actually, you can't just kind of bring your tongues, these things that other people might not understand, and just start speaking. Because he 
says there, leaving it to one or two, or sorry, two or three. And in particular, he says that if there is no one to interpret, then remain silent. So if Oscar comes with a tongue, it's kind of the way it would work, I suppose. Um, Oscar speaks in French, okay, and then there's an interpreter, that interpreter comes up and interprets the message for the rest of us, and the next tongue, and the next interpretation. But Paul says, if there is no one to interpret the message, then choose silence. You might be very keen, and it might be encouraging for you, but there's no way for the rest of the gathering to understand that they choose to be quiet. And so this just reinforces um, last week's point that in the gathering, Paul's desire for the church is that they speak in prophecy, words that are clear, words from the gospel, words from the scriptures, words that we can understand. But it's interesting that in this passage, even for prophecy, so even for this thing that Paul says, I, I want everyone to desire this thing for prophecy, even for that activity, there are limits. So you come down to verse 25. Paul says, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sin there, let the first be silent. You can all prophesy one by one so that they all may be approached, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. So Paul is saying, um, even if there is someone who has something to say that are words which people can understand, there are limits. So you notice there he says, actually, it's not just that anyone can come up and say anything, but actually it needs to be weighed. The word of God is so it's heavy, it's weighty, it's so important that we actually need to weigh up what is being said. And so actually to have, say, 52 people come up every once a week for the year and just kind of say whatever they want to say is actually um, not just irresponsible for us, but actually a terrible misapplication of this text. The word of God needs to be weighed. And not only that, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. So the spirit of the one who wants to prophesy must always sit under and submit to the prophetic written, revealed word of God. Prophecy, it has its limits. But one other thing that I think is really important about prophecy, and a bit surprising to me at first, is that Paul puts a limit on prophecy that he does also with tongues. So he says, even with the prophets, have two or three speak. So he wants everyone to prophesy and to pursue prophecy, but in any one gathering, just limit it, have a limit on it. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because I would have thought if he wants all of us to do it, if he wants all the Corinthian churches to do it, then if, if, if every person wants to do it, and let's just say it's submissive to the Word of God and it's clear to people, then what's the problem with just having everyone come up who wants to do it? And everyone can speak. Julie comes up, sits down, and you know, here comes up, shares his prophecy. What's wrong with that? But even for that activity, Paul says, keep it to two or three. 
these means. Because when Paul says, um, gather in an orderly way, he doesn't just mean um, have a run sheet and one person speaks at a time. I think Paul is also saying part of orderly gatherings is taking into account the human limitations that God has actually given each one of us. No one wants a service to drag on indefinitely. No one has ever come up to me and said, hey, Mike, you know what would be the most encouraging thing if we just didn't have a start time to the service and we just locked up whenever we wanted. There was no, we didn't know what was going on in the service. Like, no one finds that So, part of order is actually recognizing that we actually listen in a structured and orderly way with our minds. And if that's true, then I just want to suggest that one of the things that we as a congregation can start working on, if not already, is that we want to start working on giving each other loving feedback. Loving feedback. Um, if it's true that things like the length of the sermon or even the order of the gathering, um, these things matter to the way that you receive God's word, then these things actually matter as well. So um, there was one time when I was leading the growth group, this is quite wider than that gathering, and um, once or twice in the last few years that I've led growth group, there's been like one guy in particular who said to me, he kind of mustered the courage and said, I might you know, just notice it's been half a year and we just never finish the study. We never get to question 12. And that really hurt him. And, um, um, and I didn't know that. And yet for him, um, for me in order to edify him, I needed to know that, didn't I? But when he said those words, um, he actually did it in a way that was um, recognized that actually church is it's not about me about the edification of the group. And he did it in his tone, which is a way that said, like, I'm not trying to just criticize you, but I'm going to do it in such a way that, um, you know, shows you that I appreciate your ministry. So I, I really appreciate that. And for me to edify someone like him, I needed to know what he did not want to edify. So um, whether it's for the gathering, whether you kind of want to questions about the music, whether it's questions about your growth group, talking to your leaders about what you find helpful or unhelpful. Um, order is part of the way that we also receive and think. So let's start giving each other feedback. One tip to do that. One tip is to remember the old saying, the manner is the message. The manner is the message. How you communicate something is as important so, for example, when my wife asks me, Mike, is everything okay? And I say, everything's fine. I'm fine. Everything's not fine. So the way that we actually communicate feedback actually shows how much we actually are putting other people above ourselves. Orderly gatherings takes into account 
the order which God has given each one of us within our human limitations. Okay. Um, we're going to move on. And now we're going to go on to some really fun verses, which is so funny. Like, this, this always happens. So we always get new people coming in. And today, today, because there's a Baptist, we've got some extra friends. You come on the fun passage. We're going to have a look at verses 34 and 35, which often have a little bit of controversy around them. So let me just read um, some verses from verse 33, the second half. And I'll read verse 33, 34 and 35. Paul says this, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anyone, so if there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak to the church. Um, as a way to get into these verses, I just want to share two examples of churches that I know that actually understand and express this verse very different So, one church you are of, um, they take these verses that women should keep silent in the churches, and so they understand that to mean um, women should never ever speak at the front of a gathering like this. So, no woman does anything up front. Um, another church that I know of um, is a bit different. They would actually um, be very happy to have women do things at the front. There's a number of churches that I know of who might have a female senior minister or congregational minister. And they understand these verses and can see that's quite different. So, before I share some of the things um, how this works out in practice in our church, um, let's just have a think about what these verses actually mean. Um, let me just suggest two things that they, they cannot mean or do not mean. So, these verses, number one, cannot mean that. Um, women, I think, can, ne- can never say anything in the public gathering. So I don't think that's a right understanding of this passage. For those of you who looked at this in the previous week, you'll remember that in chapter 11 of Corinthians, um, Paul actually was very um, open to women um, and men both praying publicly and prophesying. So unless he's changed his mind within three chapters, my assumption is that when he says the women must remain silent in the churches, it doesn't mean that they must remain silent in every, in every, in all of every situation. So number one, I don't think that's what it says. And number two, I think if that's true, I think this text can also never be used, um, especially as a text for men to discourage and put down women from thinking about the speaking. That's not the case for anyone here. But it's been used before by men to discourage their wives and discourage other women to speak in public. That is not just a misapplication by the reference to this case. Alright, what does it mean? If Paul's not saying they can never speak, um, what do you think Paul is actually talking about? In the most immediate context, it makes most sense to me. He's just said, um, when it comes to prophets, here are some limits. 
And one parameter that he puts around prophecy is uh, this thing called waiting. So we don't really do this in our context, but it was something like um, if Shane had a prophecy and he came up the front, um, Paul says actually um, before he does that, or perhaps after he does that, is actually some people need to be involved with weighing what Shane says. And I think in the immediate context, that makes most sense for me that Paul is saying in that public weighing of prophecy, that is a role not for the women, but only for the men. So again, I don't think he's saying women can never speak, but in the context, it sounds to me like when it comes to weighing the prophet's message, that is for the males of the church and not for the women. Now, one path we could go down from here is we could say, well, because we don't do this public weighing thing anymore, then actually this these verses don't apply to us anymore because we don't be, we're not involved in public weighing of prophecy. Then actually, these verses are irrelevant. Um, that argument, I think, is held by a number of people, but I think it's not strong because do you notice Paul's reasoning for the silence of women in the churches? He says in verse thirty-four, they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. As the law also says. Now, what's he talking about? He doesn't mention specifically, but given he's referred to the, the creation account back in chapter 11, and I would argue in 1 Timothy 2, which is another passage on this issue, he also refers to the creative order. It makes most sense to me that Paul is saying um, women could not be involved in the public weighing of prophecy because it's actually um, to do with the created order in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 together. So, um, the other reason I think that's what he's referring to is because um, where do you go in the Old Testament to see just an incredibly um, orderly God at work? Well, you see it in Genesis 1 and 2. So, in Genesis chapter 1, um, God creates day one, day two, and day three. He creates all the spaces for the earth and the world. And then day four populates day one. Day five populates day two. Day six populates day four. So as you read those words, aren't you just struck by just this God who is just so ordered and packed in the way that he's made the world? And this is why um, architects including my wife, think they're superior to the rest of us because they're so ordered, just like others. Might be some truth in um, But God doesn't just sort of create kind of nature and creatures in order. Um, as you read Genesis 2, like our Old Testament reading, you'll see that God has also um, ordered relationships in a particular way. And he doesn't just create um, androgynous, asexual blobs which sort of float around in the sky. I know but that sounds like a dream to somebody. That's not what God did. He actually um, says, actually, I've created um, both male and female in my image. But Genesis 2 reminds us, actually, um, this certain set of responsibilities that he gave to Adam and certain set of responsibilities that he gave to Eve. And part of that 
not to do with them, but to do um, expressed in different roles between men and women. So, um, and, you know, to be honest, and in reality, you know that authority and submission exists in all different spheres of life. It's not just male or female. So I submit to the government, I hope you do as well. Um, we uh, relate to each other as boss and employee. Um, we even relate to each other differently depending on whether we're sort of younger older. So if I catch a bus with you, I'll always say, you please, let's see. So, you know, these authority submission exists in all different spheres of life. And alongside that is this relationship between men and women. Now, um, so many avenues, so many questions. I know many of you have looked at this in growth groups to generate a whole bunch of questions. Um, let me just um, kind of express how some of this stuff looks like in our church. And then I'm actually going to invite Ash up here in a moment. Going to share some perspective as a woman. Um, in our church, um, for example, our senior minister, uh, Kevin, is a man. All the congregational ministers are men. And part of that is because we see from passages like this, but also passages like 1 Timothy 2, that that authority is actually given to the men. Um, we also don't invite women to preach in our services because um, authority and teaching, again, passages like 1 Timothy 2, um, they kind of go hand in hand. So it's hard to actually teach without exerting a level of authority. Um, on the, I guess, positive, like, um, initiative front, um, we invite women to, to pray at the front. We, we interview women from time to time. Uh, women are involved with song leading. Um, so there's a kind of a variety of things in which we want to encourage women um, to speak in the Bible. Um, now, again, I understand it's, it's not like um, it's not like the New Testament says here are all the activities that women can and do. It doesn't say that. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to best understand what the text is saying by one Corinthians 14. And we're just working at the best way to express that in our gatherings. Nor is it to do with giftedness per se. There's a number of women who could do an amazing job of preaching a sermon and who actually can grasp the gospel so clearly and articulate it well. But part of what we're doing is we're trying to recognize that God has actually established an order in his creation. And we want to express that as we relate together as a male. Let's um, give Ash a warm welcome to the front. Okay. So, for those of you who have never met Ash, this is Ash. Ash um, is one of our student ministers. So, Ash is studying hard in more college at the moment and just contributing to the life of our gathering. How are we studying? Well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Right. So, I want to ask you two questions. The first question is, um, when you first read these verses about um, women to remain silent, and particularly that word submission, how did you first respond to that? And then after that, kind of, how has God, I guess, shaped you to understand this whole of submission? Yes, thank you. Um, at first, it was so awkward. 
sometimes it still is, especially when you hear about women being silent, you know, everyone's thinking about me, and um, everyone's just like, um, that's awkward. So it can feel, um, yeah, very strange, and even now, sometimes I find myself going, oh, I hope none of my non-Christian friends and family ever read these words. It seems a little bit patriarchal and um, just a bit off. So I think that's definitely how I responded in the first instance, and sometimes a little bit how I feel now because of the way that it's worded. Um, but I think, actually, as time's gone on and I've, I've read the passage more deeply and the way that you helped us kind of understand in its context, and also as I think about the way that God created men and women, I actually think that you're right. I think the Bible says there is an order that is not about value. So it's not saying that men are better than women or they're more important than women or they're smarter than women or anything like that. But I actually think I've seen the beauty as a woman myself um, in actually expressing my womanhood um, by uh, submitting to men in the church and allowing them to actually take the roles of teaching from up the front and things like that. And there's actually been a real beauty in that as I consider the way that God has given this to actually serve his people, not as a way to um, restrict or to um, oppress um, any people in the church, but to actually help it flourish. Um, and it's actually been a beautiful thing, especially as I've seen and I've submitted to men um, who are very Christ-like. It's an opportunity for both men and women to imitate Christ. I think I've seen men who are godly um, love and lead by serving just as Christ does in the church. And as a woman, it's also incredible to be able to imitate Jesus the way that he lovingly and joyfully submits to his Father, who he knows loves him and serves him. So, um, yeah, I think God has really helped me to see these scary words of, like, submission and silence um, actually don't have to be so scary. They can actually paint a beautiful picture. And just secondly, I guess, um, maybe even more practically and concretely, how do you sort of um, see yourself contributing as a woman to the life of the gathering? Maybe there's some kind of tips as well that you could give. Yeah. I just thought about this question. I thought, what if churches didn't have women? And that's like a horrifying point. Um, I don't know if you realize that, but um, not just myself, but the women I see in our church and in the various churches I've been part of serve us so greatly, um, and that's as women. Um, so I think, yeah, I've really enjoyed seeing the way, at least for me individually, how as a woman, God has given me, um, yeah, a great way of reading the scriptures and being able to share encouragement from them as a woman. Um, that's just something that I can read the scriptures and have my own unique perspective or experience as we, um, yeah, edify one another and speak the scriptures to each other. And I also think relationally, there's something really beautiful that I've seen in the different church teams I've been a part of in particular, um, where I can love and relate to women in a way that men never really can. Um, I can also love and relate to men in the way that um, I submit to them, but also um, encourage them to be thinking about deepening relationships and fellowship and understanding people better. And I think even as I relate to children as a woman, it's really cool to show them what it is to grow up to be an adult and a woman who follows Jesus. Um, and I think 
it's in terms of our bigger gatherings here, um, I've really enjoyed listening to my, my friend James Moore, who runs the um, centre in Sydney called Priscilla Nicola Centre. She gives lots of great ideas about how women can be really helping from up the front. So things like what I'm doing right now um, clearly aren't saying, well, she's a woman, she needs to be silent, what's she doing up here? Um, I think it's been great that you've invited me you've told us what we're doing and you've asked me some questions. I think it's great if women can be interviewed up the front or perhaps share a testimony, what it's like to be a mum or to be a friend or to be a woman at work and be a Christian. Um, I think there are even times where maybe we could share a bit of church history and see how God has um, used people um, throughout uh, his history in the world. Or maybe even teach us a little bit about what it looks like to apply a passage in our lives. There are lots of ways that women can also even be up the front here speaking that aren't necessarily doing the job of something like a sermon like we're doing now. Um, so I'm really excited to keep seeing women up the front, um, prophesying, um, as we'll hear more about, um, but also just relating as women in and amongst the church. Um, it's just, yeah, you can't replace it, can you? So, <laughs> Thanks for both men and women in the group. Thank you. Um, Ash is a really great person to give um, you for a chat. Lots of lots of great things about him, because of all of you can see that now. Now, we get into the, the back end of the sermon, and I just want to say, because of your human limitation and my human limitation in particular, um, we're not going to answer a lot of the kind of big questions about this topic that you might have. So, for example, my wife asked a great question during the week. Um, she said, um, do, does that mean all women submit to all men? So I think it's a great question. Um, I'm not going to tackle some of those questions now, but I'm sure you have them. But we are going to offer you a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This Thursday, on Zoom, online, we're going to run a Q&A, and um, you're gonna, you can bring any question that you have on this particular topic. I'm going to try and answer um, maybe mostly on what I've preached on today, and then you will answer all the other ones that you have as well. Okay. Okay. Um, as Paul comes to the back end of this chapter, um, I think he begins the back end of it by rebuking the Corinthian church with two questions. So come with me to verse 36. Um, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that have reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I write are the names of the Lord. So it seems to be that when it comes to disorder in the Corinthian church, one problem they seem to have was that people were sort of dominating discussion, whether that was through speaking in tongues or just being very dominant and not allowing others to speak. I think what Paul is saying in verse 36, he's saying, oh, like sort of sarcastically, oh, does that, or do you think that the word of God just came to a few of you loud, dominant people? And his point is, no, it didn't. Actually, the word of God has reached many of you. And so you should, um, to love other people is actually to allow them to speak as well. The word of God. It's not just reaching some of you, but many of you. I think in our gatherings, I was trying to think about this um, passage. Because again, our church is a little bit different to the Corinthian church. Like our church, 
has a very distinct order. People generally don't talk on top of each other unless it's like kids, you know, when the kids are young. Otherwise, our church is quite unordered. And yet, I think we suffer from the same danger. The fact that actually there's a few people who kind of do most of the gathering at the front and sort of inadvertently see that the Word of God has reached just a few people. But Paul wants to say, hang on a second, that the gospel, the Word of Christ, has actually reached many of us. So, and you're part of the body, and we need each person in the body of Christ to express their gifts in order to love and grow the church. So, um, brothers and sisters, can I encourage you as we come to the end of this section of the letter? Um, can I encourage you, men, if you're a husband or a man more generally, and one of our jobs, I think, is to actually cultivate a life at home or a life in our gatherings where people love to ask questions and inquire from the Word of God. From husbands in particular, if you have a wife that wants to find out and explore more of the Scriptures, um, your job is actually to foster that attitude, actually encourage them to think and ask their questions and wrestle with it together. In no way should we be thinking that our knowledge is superior. The Word of God has reached many of us. And so he finishes this section with verse 39. Brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forget speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Friends, why do we do the things that we do? Why don't we sing ten songs and not three songs? Why don't we roster on everyone to preach each week. And the reason is, I hope you've seen from chapter 12 all the way to today, is that because Christ has actually died for each one of us and he's brought us into his body. And his desire is for us not to just stop and stand still, but actually to grow, to move forward in love for one another. And the way that we do that is by putting others above ourselves to express the truth and love to each other. And in particular today, to actually reflect the orderly character of our God. And that means, um, you know, um, doing things in a way that's understandable. It means doing things in a way that is not speaking over the top of each other. And it means doing things in a way that expresses our relationship as well. I'm sure there's like so many questions which a passage like this generates. Um, so um, we have time after our gathering to listen to some of those. And I'm going to leave that with you. I'm going to pray that God enables us to grow together as we can. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we want to thank you that all of your word is breathed out by you. And we thank you in particular for these verses, which are um, a bit jarring in our time. We thank you, Father, that you are an orderly God and you've ordered things that are very good. And so, above all, Father, we pray that as we think about this text, um, would you give us humility to know that you are God and we are not, and that your purposes and your order is a thing of great beauty. So, enable us to ask our questions today 
but also to be humble in the way that we receive the message of your word. We ask this in the 